Did you mean it? Would you marry me? Yes. Why? Because I want to. Not because you love me or anything like that, huh? I respect and admire you. Isn't that love? No, that's respect and admiration. I think that's better than love. How? When people are in love, they do all sorts of crazy things. They get jealous, they lie, they cheat, they kill themselves, kill each other. It doesn't have to be that way. Maybe. Be the father of a child you know isn't yours. Kids are kids. What does it matter? Do you trust me? Do you trust me first? I trust you. Hello, everyone. This is the Director's Club Podcast, and I am Jim Laskowski. Uh, first of all, I wanted to apologize for the delay in putting this bonus episode together. It's been a couple weeks um, since I conducted this interview, and I hadn't gotten around to posting it as much as I've been excited about sharing um, this episode with you. Um, and speaking of sharing, uh, I was actually in the midst of recording this introduction earlier when I found out about the passing of a legendary writer and Chicago film critic that has uh, unfortunately left us uh, this morning. He'd been battling cancer and managed to maintain an online presence and continue his, uh, his work. And seeing him persevere was incredibly moving to witness throughout the past several years. Uh, he was a hero to me because I grew up watching his show for years as a kid. And my dad and I always made it a priority pretty much every Friday at 6.30. Roger Ebert um, was a true icon to um, film lovers everywhere. And not just for his uh, incredible reviews, but just for the arts in general. He touched so many lives, many actors and filmmakers that he had the pleasure of knowing personally. And anyone could find his enthusiasm and passion for cinema to be incredibly captivating and infectious and just a joy to watch because he had a great uh, sense of humor, too. Um, He never really took himself uber seriously. Um, And I had the pleasure of meeting him, but I I don't want to spend too much time saying how much he meant to me right now because I want to save that for when Patrick and I are together and can talk a little bit more. Um, you know, we're not going to do a full episode or anything, but we certainly want to acknowledge his accomplishments and contributions for the next official episode. But I'd be remiss in not sharing my um, deepest, deepest sympathies to his family. Because um, honestly, I'm not sure if I would have been transformed into the film critic that I am or film fanatic that I should, I should actually just say at this point in time, I am a complete film nerd, but I don't think, um, I would be, you know, uh, doing this podcast if it weren't for Siskel Niebert along with, uh, someone else you'll, <laughs> you'll get to hear more about, uh, later this month. So with that in mind and in fond remembrance of a great man, Mr. Ebert, um, it's a good time to bring up the Chicago Film Critics Festival that's taking place at the Movie Co. in Rosemont, Illinois, 
starting April 12th. And if you're in the Chicago area, I can't encourage you enough to come on out. It's the first time ever that a film critic uh, committee got together to put on a festival. So it would be great to sell out these screenings to ensure future events like these can take place in the future. Um, And I will get to see Stories We Tell, the latest film from Sarah Polly, who will be there in attendance to introduce the film and do a Q&A. I can't wait for that because you know how I all feel about Take This Waltz and uh, away from uh, away from her, which I also love. So there's going to be a lot of premieres. And former guests on the podcast, Brian Tallarico, Colin Suter, Eric Childress, and Peter Subchinsky all had a hand in putting the Chicago Film Critics Festival together. And they put a lot of hard work into it. Um, you know, and I can't think of a better tribute to, you know, someone like Ebert than by holding yet another celebration and um, recognition of the art form we all know and love. Because it's going to be it's going to be a great uh, event, I have no doubt. Um, so I really encourage people to come on out and you can purchase tickets and find out more information over at chicagofilmcriticsfestival.com. There's a full listing of each individual screening, but um, I, recommend, I, I recommend making a day out of it. Just go ahead and purchase a daily pass or a three-day pass. There's great food and drink and some other Sundance favorites will be showing and the big news is that William Friedkin himself will be in attendance on Sunday night, and he will be um, um, bringing a uh, 35 millimeter print of Sorcerer, and I've been dying to see this for a long time, and it hasn't gotten a proper release, as many of you know, um, but he's going to be uh, bringing this special um, film print of Sorcerer and uh, introducing, or at least uh, relaying information about the upcoming DVD and Blu-ray release, I believe. And he's going to be signing copies of his book, The Freed Connect- Freedkin Connection. <laughs> and you can certainly uh, ask him if he ever picked his feet in Poughkeepsie. Uh, so I will be there all three nights, and it's going to be really cool. And uh, I'll, I'll conclude this introduction once again by saying... Uh, rest in peace, Roger. And I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me. Um, and for everybody, really. He's an incredible human being, and you should all read his memoir, Life Itself. So um, I'm sure Patrick and I will talk a little bit more, and I can r- sort of uh, elaborate on my personal encounter with him, even though it was brief. And. Uh, what it's like to be a film critic, a freelance film critic in Chicago, because it was quite the experience. So let's get to the actual subject. Um, now that we've gotten the introduction, introduction out of the way, um, I want to get to why this bonus episode is um, being created in the first place because it's actually going to hold uh, another special place in my heart because I saw a film back in 1994 called Hal Hartley's Trust and it truly had an impact on me. Um, I love the dialogue, the way the characters interacted with one another in this strange otherworldly way that was kind of devoid of 
the usual human emotional response that tends to create drama and pathos. Um, and you know, some people connect with it and others, as you know, like Patrick can't, and I understand that. Uh, but I thought of it as just surreal romantic comedy, um, inspired by the likes of Mamet, uh, and, I, I love the movie Trust because it's about two people who shouldn't be together and all these insane characters that surround them are all really comical in kind of a dark, twisted way. But I was so magnetized to um, both Adrian Shelley and Martin Donovan. Martin Donovan, uh, he, he stood out to me as a, kind of a charismatic actor with a lot to say. Um, sometimes with very little. I mean, mostly he's just really good at conveying with his face. And uh, trust was, he, he, he brought forth like this very direct performance to me. And cut to many years later, um, I always perk up whenever I see him show up in a supporting role from everything to the opposite of sex, to living out loud, insomnia, saved, <laughs> to one of his probably better performances in Jane Campion's Portrait of a Lady. And I also enjoyed seeing him on Weeds, too. He's just, he's just, he's restrained, but just reliably interesting to me. Um, and, and seeing him in Hal Hartley's work turned me into a fan. Uh, and I was really... Um, taken aback and in the best way possible because um, I had an absolute pleasure to talk with him about his directorial debut uh, collaborator. It's a film I did enjoy. Um, it involves one of my favorite concepts or setups, if you will. Um, the two-person intellectual standoff in which dialogue and mind games are at the forefront in a very confined space almost like in a theatrical play kind of setting. Um, and I've been into this type of scenario since um, when I was younger. I, I saw this kind of underrated and underseen indie film with Alan Rickman called Closetland, which is, you might be able to watch that on YouTube, but it it, it sort of follows this process of watching two people in a room, having them conflict with one another. And I've probably brought this up on the show before, but one of the best recent examples of this would be the Cormac McCarthy, Tommy Lee Jones collaboration, the sunset limited. And Martin Donovan, uh, brought a very sort of, uh, political edge to this, uh, concept of two people with very conflicting ideologies getting in the room together and hashing it out. But, um, it's also built around action. It's not all necessarily like, um, I mean, because it is also a hostage kind of um, plot line that is threaded throughout. And I think I think Donovan, he, he he's very assured once again in both performance and now as a director. Um, so Collaborator, I, I recommend you check it out. It's I'm pretty sure it's out on DVD. And if you're a fan of his... Um, or you enjoy the work of another great character actor, David Morris. He's also in um, the film. You're really in for a treat because it's it's a joy to watch these two actors together. 
and it, it builds to some surprising revelations that I didn't see coming. But it does leave you wanting more, I will say that, which I guess you can definitely see as a good sign when you enjoy spending time with characters that are as interesting as the ones in this particular film. So uh, definite got to give a uh, shout out and some props to previous guest Troy Anderson. He got me in touch with Martin to talk about uh, his work, both past and present. So this is a pretty brief conversation at 18 minutes in which we mainly discussed Collaborator. But uh, I hope you enjoy this interview because I I enjoyed um, conducting it. Uh, But I I must admit that since we didn't record this over Skype, the quality isn't quite up to snuff as it has been in the past since I wasn't used to recording directly through my phone. Um, So there's a lot of, uh, like, hum and fuzz in the background. But I, I know you can still... Um, decipher what's being said, so no worries there. Hopefully I'll just do it better next time. And uh, much like the Andrew Davis interview, which I did, seems like a year or a year and a half ago at this point, I really am excited to share this with you. And like I said, I'm, I'm sure both Patrick and I will be doing more of these in the future, and I hope you enjoy what Martin had to say, because uh, he's a really cool dude and a great actor. So, Enjoy this little bonus episode, and um, thanks again for listening. Oh, how you doing? Everything good? I was thinking that you and I should have a beer, man. Here's to you. We have liftoff. Tell them everything's cool. Where's the input? Breaking story out of the valley, Reseda to be exact. I have an idea if this hostage situation has something to do with Longfellow's writing or political views. Why are the cops after you? The liquor store clerk, shot by Gus Williams, has now died from his wounds. What's your plan here? Oh, the plan is that you and I hoist a few beers, man. Mistravia. I got some stories to tell. I bet you do. Right. If you don't leave me alone, I'm going to set the place on fire, and I'm going to shoot us both, so leave me alone! I hear people say that you're a commie. Commie? How do you write? Say something. Let's see what happens. I'll show you. God bless America. Why would he do that? Wait, was that? Yeah. Wow. You can't do this. I mean, this could turn out really bad. What was the name of that broad you were doing? Emma Stiles? She's a big star now, man. You want to talk to her? Hello, Gus. Is this really Emma Stiles? I don't want to see you or Robert get hurt. I just lose it sometimes. What did you want to be when you grew up? A Marine. I guess they thought I was nuts. Are you now mentally unstable? What do you think? I am, uh, I'm doing quite well, thank you. You? Excellent, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. All right. Um, so, yeah, I just, um, first off, I really need to say that it's it's a pleasure to be speaking with you because I've admired your work for so many years, and it'll be very interesting to learn about how your career continues to evolve because uh, on a personal note, I can easily point back to when I first fell in love with independent movies in 1994 when I rented Hal Hartley's Trust 
at the local video store, and to this day, it is still one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, I'm sorry, nice of you to say that. Uh, you're you're not alone in um, in the, the um, you know in that category in terms of people who were really impacted by house movies. A lot of people tell me that. Yeah, I um, I'm so glad it's finally getting the proper uh, DVD release. It's kind of been long overdue for that. So. Yeah, I'm very excited. On Blu-ray, no less. Yeah, yeah, on Blu-ray as well. So I'm assuming, you know, working with the wide variety of filmmakers you've worked with has influenced you greatly as uh, as a director now. Everyone from Hartley to Christopher Nolan, Don Ruse, Jane Campion. Uh, so how did working with other directors as an actor inform how you directed it's pretty hard for me to kind of pin that down. I, I think it's just, you know, um, part of, you know, part of the problem is, as an actor, and particularly if you're, well, not even if you're in a lead role, and it doesn't matter, anytime you're on a set, you know, you're so completely absorbed in what you're doing. Um, and as much as I was fascinated by how, I'm, I'm fascinated by how, you know, my curiosity is easily, you know, I, I, I like watching what the crew's doing, you know. I want to know what the electricians are doing or, or what the, uh, the dolly grip, how he works or whatever. Lighting fascinates me. Um, but so to, to, um, to, to really, it's hard for me to pin down. It's hard for me to sort of say who influenced me more. Obviously how I spent the most time with Hal than anybody else. And there's no question that his style is is very very distinct, um, uh, and there is he's in his own category in terms of style. So, um, and, you know, I I would say that Hal's um, rigor and his um, precision were had a huge impact on me, and it really carried me going forward as an actor. Um, I. I felt, um, I sometimes felt, uh, but it was an upside and a downside. The upside was I, I felt like I uh, could do, um, I mean, I could do anything uh, with sort of precision and, and, and understanding that, you know, filmmaking can be a very precise kind of um, uh, dance, if you will, you know. Uh, now, what has happened in the last few years is everything has loosened up considerably. Just in general, the style of handheld, uh, sort of on, on the fly, uh, make it up as we go along kind of shooting uh, tends to dominate. And so, I mean, over the years, and even when I immediately when I stopped, when I started working with other directors, I kind of came onto this set and, and would start working and I would kind of turn to the camera and say, you know, where do you want me to be? <laughs> and they would go, no, 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 you do what you want to do, we'll follow you. So it was weird because I, before I met Al, everything I learned as an actor was sort of driven from, uh, was about the, the, the character's um, motivation and from that all other things followed. I had to lose all of that to work with Hal, and then I kind of had to regain that sense working with other directors. Now that's not that's a very general generalization, but and each director each director is different. Some are some are very precise, 
um, and some aren't precise at all. Um, so it's a mixed bag. And there are good things about both styles. I mean, there are pros and cons to both styles. Uh, but generally speaking, I, I feel like I tend to lean towards films, filmmakers who you can see have really plotted through and have a clear idea of what they're trying to achieve visually. They've, they've absorbed the script. They know, you know, they know as much as they can know about the actors and, and their how, how they're, which direction they are comfortable going and so forth. It, it's definitely a moving target. But I, I do... I like it when there's a strong hand directing, you know, where... And uh, and then I feel because I when I'm given boundaries, I think when anybody's given boundaries, it is it acts it gives one freedom, it liberates you. When there are when there are no boundaries, you can't make a decision. You can't. It's much harder to make a choice. But if you're given boundaries, then you know what to do. Then you can make decisions. And um, and it, and it, I think it makes for better work. And when you work with a filmmaker who has such a strong vision and a you know a sense of confidence and control behind the camera, I'm sure that has to help you as an actor and make you feel comfortable as well. Yeah, and and there's and there's also obviously the fact that how you know was a writer and, and yeah. yeah, I mean he just he just had excuse me he just had um, uh, I mean he knew what he was doing he knew what he wanted to do on on all levels you know he wasn't a director shooting shooting somebody else's script. Well, what made you specifically want to step out of your comfort zone, uh, more or less, and uh, step behind the camera to tell this particular story? Well, I wanted to make a film in any way I could. I, 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 um, and it just evolved, it just emerged as in this form. Um, impossible to sort of say why. It just That's where, I mean, I, there are various things, choices I made, and there were things that I was... Uh, had been pondering since my childhood. It, I didn't really know how to understand it when I was young, but over the course of my life, I feel like I really what has been my core mission is, is in my own personal journey, aside from trying to be more, keep my sanity and not uh, you know, be a decent human being, is to... Um, um, untangle this what is our responsibility as citizens or as, as social animals and, and that sort of when we, what, what is our relationship to society what is the personal versus the political what is this thing called politics you know I grew up in a very impassioned household lots of you know heated discussions and the kid during the 60s so in my house Things were argued over, you know, the Vietnam War, civil rights, um, gay, gay rights, uh, feminism, all these things were hashed out and argued over, and there was, you know, there was a lot of screaming. Um, and um, so I don't shy away from that, and I, and I also believe it, it is important. It is a manifestation of, of what I think is important, which is... Uh, um, uh, trying to understand, trying to get it to the bottom of. Re I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's about trying to get at reality. It's it's trying. What is real? What is going on? Where? What is the nature of power? 
Uh, where are we situated in relationship to power? Where, where is it concentrated? Why am I? Why is my life uh, prescribed in this particular area, not in this area? Why can I do that? Why can't I do that? You know, what is the nature of freedom? I know I'm, I'm, I'm really going on and on here, but it really does. Um, uh, that is at the core of my, this. What I'm trying to express in my in trying to discover and turn over in as an actor in films that I would like to be in and have been in in some of them but also as a, as a filmmaker. So I put these two guys in a room who dance around this fundamental issue um, and uh, eventually explodes. And that issue, for me, is the tip of the iceberg of a lot of huge issues about our lives. Uh, war and peace and power and state violence versus retail violence and and all the other socio sociological and political aspects to that. And um, I tried to make it, you know, I tried to make it funny and as, as compelling as I possibly could. Well, you certainly did that. I mean, I, I, I responded to it um, in terms of, like, I mean, definitely the political angles, but it, it, it also came across to me as... Um, in the way you're describing it too, just just now is very existential, and almost as a mora- uh, morality play. And it reminded me a bit of something like Death and the Maiden, that Polanski film, or maybe something that Harold Pinter might have written in, in kind of like its stage-like presentation, where you just get two individuals, put them in a room, have them have conflicting ideologies in a way. And I think that is a really great uh, choice to translate to film um you know because I, th- I think a lot of people can just sort of write it off and be like well that can just be you know simplified to the stage but i think you managed to make it cinematic and that's what's really that's really stood out to me and i think you did a great job was it easy to you know just translate that in your in your head because you know just putting two people in a room you know is that easy to sort of um visualize and make it cinematic or do you just kind of do that as you go along or how's how was your process overall for your directorial um efforts i guess <laughs> well there, there, there's uh, several things and first of all i'm deeply flattered by the comparison to pinter uh Blansky. i'll 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 let that I won't touch that because. Sorry, uh, I went. I, I had to. I did some rambling there myself. No, that's, that's, that's very. That's a, I'll take. You know what the hell? I'll take it. It's Friday. I'll take it. Um, the uh, the, um, the the thing because I came from Hal mm-hmm. and working did six films with him and learned how much um, simplicity and, and precision and rigor with the camera is in, is. Uh, an art form in itself and um, having something else going on behind, you know having a plan which Hal has in all of his films an extremely well thought through plan in terms of the script the ideas the themes the things that he's working out that the camera move, other than the fact that I always feel I feel that all of Hal's films are beautifully shot sure. they're not they're not, it's not intrusive. The camera is never intrusive. And it's never in your face. We're not watching ca- his uh, uh, virtuosity or the, or the cameraman's virtuosity. 
we're sucked into a world, okay? Mm-hmm. It's very much facilitated by the, the choices he makes visually. And he's rigor- very, very uh, rigorous about it. But it's not, it's not, it's not a uh, um, empty virtuosity. It's not a uh, in-your-face in by any means. So anyway, having come from that, I knew in the back of my mind, and aside from also the, the acting style, I also, I just really had a deep um, immersion in the possibility of economy, right? Right. So since the early 90s, though, film has gone, the, the, the fashion has been handheld, you know, no lighting, just throw the actors in the room, let's go, let's shoot a bunch of shit, we'll show their ears and their noses, and, and uh, we'll cut, 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 and we'll chop, and we'll run alongside them, and the camera will move a lot, and we'll all get nauseous and call that uh, daring cinema. And uh, I find that, you know, 99% of the time, uh, complete bullshit and without purpose. I not say that they're... <laughs> not say, and I'm sure, yeah, I think most people sort of, you know, mm-hmm. television has turned it into such a nauseating cliche. Right. But anyway, uh, so uh, that's not to say that there aren't master filmmakers who have employed some of these techniques well. You know what I mean? I don't want to generalize. Anyway... So my feeling was, I know it's a long answer to your question, I, I came to this feeling like I have to have a plan, I have to have a script and characters and a story uh, and performances that are going to be what this is about, not how much I can be dazzling in my camera moves. So I very consciously made the camera work very simple, and there's been more than a few people who have given me shit about that and accused me of being a boning director and not visually interesting and da, 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 da. And I was totally prepared for that because people want to have their head, you know, they want to be slapped upside the head with a camera. They're so completely uh, lost uh, uh, a certain sense of what films can and should be about. Anyway, uh, so, and also because of the fact that I was my first film and I was the lead, I doubly and triply didn't want to uh, mess with uh, too much camera. So what I did was, I put, but that's why I said I didn't prepare. I had a lot of storyboards. I had very specific things in mind, and I very much wanted the mood, the tone, and as much as I could get the camera inside the heads of these people, that was the objective. And um, just feel the tension and uh, in the character's and stay the hell out of the way otherwise. That was my objective. Yeah, I think you pulled it off gracefully. I think as it went along, I felt that tension. And I have to admit, that it must be a joy to work on set with great character actors like uh, David Morris and Olivia Williams. I, they, they both have this really great combination of vulnerability and intensity about them, depending on the scene. And they're also actors I've long since admired, and whenever they show up on screen, I... I, d- I do tend to get a little excited. I I must imagine that you know working with a claustrophobic setting and that sort of hostage takeover premise, you have to be comfortable with the actor that you're working off of. So um, and you plus you chose an actor. I think it's very easy to em- uh, empathize with rather than sort of automatically write off as a one dimensional villain too. So um, well, yeah. I mean, I always thought Gus was um, a complex guy. And, right. And. and, and deserves our sympathy and I there were some actors that were considered who I felt were going to bring too much menace to the 
part, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I really, from very early on, sensed that David was a guy who could do both. He could bring the, the, the potential for vi- explosive violence, and you knew he was capable of it, but he, he was, he has this childlike quality about him. And um, that's, he's, he's was, you know, he's just my dream guts. I mean, he really brought all that stuff to the table. And then Olivia has grace, you know, mm-hmm. and that's important. Um, she has grace and style, and, and she's a damn good actress. And, and um, uh, I, you know, I would just give her a note, and then she would just take off. You know, she was amazing to work with. Um, so uh, that, you know, 90% of it is casting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I know that your time is limited here, but I just wanted to say again, I I really think that you did a remarkable job with this first film of yours, and it, it worked for me, and it's a great character study all around, um, and it was compelling from start to finish, and I can't wait to see what you uh, where you go from here next as a director. Do you have anything in mind for your next project? I'm curious to know. Um, I'm working on things. I'm, I'm researching um, some and stuff. I have sort of two tracks going, but yeah, I definitely um, have a, a very powerful desire to do it again. Um, Great. You know, I hope it doesn't take me. I hope it doesn't take me forty years this next time. Well, I of course you ha- you'll have a lifelong fan of me, Martin. <laughs> uh, uh, well, thanks. So- yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it, and I wish you nothing but the best and continued success. Thanks for your time. Thank you, James. Okay, take care. Please visit us at directorsclubpodcast.com or send us an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com where we'll be back in about, oh, I'd say about a week, actually, for the next official episode on director Michael Haneke with guest Kurt Halfyard. So we'll see you then and talk to you soon. Bye.